Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What say you, Richard Ellett Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious I'm not here to work with them, okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall in the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Well, welcome back to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch's Murders, Money, and Mystery. We are here for a special episode to talk about a development that has just come up in the last 24 hours that we've been made aware of. Roll the clip. When, when a jurors are receive private communications outside the confines of a public courtroom, the Sixth Amendment is violated and numerous other constitutional rights are violated. And that's not Jim Griffin on the law. That is the law of the land. And I want to quote from a decision from the South Carolina Court of Appeals, which is behind me, and states this, where there is a private communication of a court official to members of the jury, an occurrence which cannot be tolerated if the sanctity of the jury system is to be maintained. A new trial must be granted unless it clearly appears that the subject matter of the communication was harmless and could not have affected the verdict. What we had filed today, it, it, supported by sworn testimony of jurors, is that the clerk of court had improper private communications with the jurors and the subject matter, the subject matter of those communications was the credibility of the defense that the Murdoch legal defense team put up and it was the believability of the defendant's own testimony. Um. I'm Ann Emerson. I'm joined today by our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, former Attorney General of South Carolina, and our executive producer, Drew Tripp. We're here to try and break some of this new bombshell information down that we just received in the last 24 hours about uh, where the defense attorneys for Alec Murdoch are looking for a new trial. What did you think when you got that call, Charlie? Uh, by the way, great to be back. How long has it been? Months. <laughs> months. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. We took a little, little, but, little month. But this is, this is. Uh, but I think this occasion is uh, is a worthy one to, to start back in, right? Because uh, bombshell, I think, is the word to use. the uh, The allegation is that the elected clerk of court tampered with the Murdoch jury. And need I say more? I mean, it's just just an explosive bombshell allegation by the defense that 
It's not just lawyer talk, though, right? I mean, they've got affidavits from jurors that say this. And so I think that's why this is a very serious, uh, serious charge and serious matter. So you use the word tampering. Um, is, is, there a, is there a legal distinction for what constitutes tampering? Is, that, is it definitely tampering that we're dealing with as far as the legal definition in the state of South Carolina? Uh, great question. I uh, actually looked it up because I was curious. I've never prosecuted a tampering case with a jury before, and there is a statute for tampering with a jury, but it involves in South Carolina the payment of money, which there's no allegation of that. I do think the, again, I'm not saying that she's guilty of this, but the step fast forwarding on the state level, the possible charge that comes to mind is what would be called misconduct in public office. That would be the more uh, appropriate charge. On the federal level, they've got federal statutes. Of course, the defense has asked for a federal investigation. I don't know where that stands. I think they use the word tampering, though, to, to trigger these cases that the state, uh, that the defense has cited, and they've cited cases from really all over where they try to get that language in relative to improper contact with, with, with jurors. Well, and I want to take it back a little bit. I, I want everyone to understand who we're talking about because we kind of jumped into it like right off the bat as far as the charges mm -hmm. that have been um, put forth, uh, the accusations from the defense attorneys for Alec Murdoch. Uh, this is centers around a character that we all know very well based on how much time we were in that courtroom. Literally, uh, she, her name is Rebecca Hill. She is the county clerk of court for Colton County mm -hmm. where the Alec Murdoch double murder trial was held for six weeks. Her job was to be in there to be corralling this jury, mm -hmm. to be going back and forth as they're entering and leaving. Uh, we heard from her extensively throughout the time, and she was always a presence uh, in mm -hmm. a very important role. Now, a, a very important role. She's also an elected official. Yes. And so here's where I'd like to start this. First off, and we'll get to why all of this started coming out and, and what role she played after this trial that we started learning all this new information. But talk to me about the role of the clerk of court. I think we need to understand because I don't even know for real if every state has the same. So yeah, good point. Good point. California yeah, I don't know how. It would, yeah, good point. I don't know how it would work in other states. In South Carolina, it's an elected public official, forty-six counties, so we have forty-six clerks of court. Mm -hmm. And um, I do know this: that the clerk of court is in effect in charge of the courthouse. If you want access to it, if you want to do certain things, you go through the clerk of court's office. And that was very evident, by the way, the way Becky ran that trial. I thought she did a really good job in terms of organizing it. I mean, first day, I was really impressed with how they, how they had badges ready for everybody and the press was handled and how you had access. And she did uh, tell us, as I recall, that she got advice from other clerks of court in South Carolina. And some of them, in fact, showed up during the trial and they were assisting her through the, uh, through the tremendous... Uh, procedure that had to occur. I mean, it was a, it was a lot. And yeah. Colleton County is, is a, a rural uh, county in South Carolina. I'm sure their budgets aren't as robust as the urban areas. And for her to have pulled it off, so to speak, as flawlessly as she did, of course, now we've got a big footnote on flawless, don't we? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Charlie, to your point, one of the duties of the clerk of court, uh, one of the things under her umbrella, under her purview, is jury management. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? The clerk 
jury selection, putting people in the pool, who, how, who gets summoned to the, to the office. And typically, I know this happened in this case in particular, there's a close, very close working relationship with the clerk and the presiding judge, just on the logistics of things. And so she would be the go-to person. And it's typical where a clerk, and of course in the urban counties, typically the deputy clerks, they just have really close contact with jurors in terms of, of the logistics of it, be here at this certain time, if they have special needs. None of that is, is, is improper or unusual, just regular communications. What the defense, though, is alleging is very specific allegations of improper direct contact with jurors. And they also, I got thinking about this really uh, today, one of the allegations here, you have to kind of deep dive on their motion, but they, with this Facebook business, they're positing that she affirmatively got involved with really fraud in effect mm -hmm. to get rid of a juror. Now that is, 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 a, is a, an additional really serious allegation that they're making at this point in time. Yes, it, yes, it is. And we're going to deconstruct that a little bit. Um, to Charlie's point about those allegations, I've made some notes here um, of what Alec Murdoch's defense attorneys, Jim Griffin, Dick Arputlian, what they're saying. And uh, again, mm -hmm. these are based on what they have provided sworn affidavits of three separate jurors who were part of the mm -hmm. Murdoch jury pool. They've gotten statements from these individuals. They've interviewed them. They've taken down copious notes, gone through that whole vetting process, and they've presented it now to the State Court of Appeals, asking for the State Court of Appeals to put Alex appeal on hold basically so that they can take these findings back to the circuit court and judge newman and potentially another judge mm -hmm. uh to over to over overlook them and oversee them and determine whether or not a retrial is warranted but this is this is jim and dick's interpretations and their synopsis of what these juror affidavits say that one becky hill discussed the case with jurors before they began deliberations that she tampered with the jury by advising them not to believe Alec Murdoch's testimony and other defense evidence, that she pressured jurors to reach a quick guilty verdict, that she invented a story, as Charlie just referenced, that she essentially invented a story about a Facebook post to get a juror removed who she believed was favorable to the defense, favorable to Murdoch. Uh, and they say Becky was motivated to do all this by pursuit of personal fame and fortune and enrichment, trying to get a book deal, trying to get media appearances. Which she did, which she got a book. She has a book out and has been... Uh, yeah, you might have some insight. I was really uh, sort of puzzled as to the defense is saying that the, the reason these jurors came forward was because of this book. What's in the book that would get them going, so to speak? Well, we've been going through that. Drew and I have been looking at that as well, as far as the information on what she was talking about. Now, I just reread. Drew, you just sent through some sort of uh, notes from the book as well. And um, in her book, she talks about these jurors in a very personal way. Oh, was that it maybe? Well, I think that was part of it. And mm -hmm. I think it was also... Uh, you know, one of, well, one at least one of those jurors had very serious concerns about whether or not she 
thought he was uh, Alec Murdoch, the mm-hmm. defendant, whether or not defendant Murdoch was guilty yet. Mm-hmm. So she was waiting until the closing arguments. She wanted to hear all of the mm-hmm. all of the statements because she said that could be very persuasive mm-hmm. as far as how she went about it. And um, this is the same juror who was um, removed in the 11th hour of our... Yes. Right, during mm-hmm. the closing arguments. So mm-hmm. this was one of those jurors. But, you know... Not only very personal information mm-hmm. that was written in the book, not really relevant mm-hmm. to anything, right. right? In this, um, and and you can can give us a little bit more on that if you want to, Drew. But yeah, I mean, it was the problem that that many people had had referenced in this book was mm-hmm. that it was just kind of. Mm-hmm. Gossipy. Gossipy. And that's where it, 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 did it rub these jurors wrong? Well, something did because they wouldn't talk to these defense attorneys mm-hmm. until this book came out according mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. This book was sort of the catalyst mm-hmm. to release all this information and for the jurors to go ahead and say, here's my sworn affidavit. We had a problem in wow. there. Wow. Talk about the law of unintended consequences. Wow. So to, to that point, here, here's, uh, I have an excerpt from Becky Hill's book that I, I'm going to read through some of it right now. Um, and she has an entire chapter in her book dedicated to working with the jury during the Murdoch trial. And uh, just to Anne's point about some of the stuff that maybe might have made the jury, the jurors uncomfortable or that might have mm-hmm. motivated them to like, hey, you know what, I, I don't appreciate that. And they finally answered the door knocks of what we heard yesterday, uh, Jim Griffin, Dick Harputley, and say they traveled many miles through Colleton County after the trial trying to get in touch with these jurors and get them to talk because they were acting on what they were led, what, what they described as a quote-unquote whisper campaign that began immediately after the verdict, the, insinuating that something, mm-hmm. uh, to, quote, to quote Jim, untoward had happened in the jury room, or I think that may have been uh, Dick who said that this morning on mm-hmm. Good Morning America. But that was the impetus for it. They heard the Murdoch's attorneys say they were of the belief from the end of the very end of the trial that something not on the up and up had taken place in that jury room. And they spent all summer trying to track it down, and it was only after Becky's book came out that right. these jurors started... Uh, coming forward and being willing to talk. But here's, and they say, so what What could be in that book that would cause them to do that? Uh, just a few notes. Um, she, she says one juror was, she describes it as the one juror was not so much focused on the trial as she was on the crowd and was just constantly looking oh, out okay. into the crowd I and can see looking why. out I at different see, people. Yeah. And apparently at one point caught someone trying to take a picture of the jury mm-hmm. and uh, told on them, uh, she said there was another juror who couldn't sit still and was constantly squeaking their chair during the trial and was causing a distraction. And the, then she gets into what what she calls, who she calls the egg lady. The egg lady is a woman who was removed in the 11th hour of the trial. She was right, a juror right. who was removed in the 11th hour of the trial. And much of what Alec Murdoch did much of what these juror affidavits and Murdoch's attorney's filings are about is centered on the egg lady, as she's called. Um, And it goes in, it gives Becky's account of that. But before we jump into that, um, (laughs) I I guess it's not so much, that is not so much as 
even though it gets a lot of focus, the, the egg lady gets a lot of focus, it's really not in the grand scheme of things, in my opinion, uh, on reading this, it's really not the, it, it's the, it's the scandalous part of it. It's the, I guess you could say the juicy, juicy part of it, but from a strictly legal standpoint and the, 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 the mm-hmm. what we're going after here, which is that does Alec Murdoch deserve a new trial? Mm-hmm. What happened with the Facebook post and the egg lady and, and it, briefly, essentially the egg lady, there's a claim that was put at, put forth that basically her ex-husband was saying things about her and the trial and the jury on a Facebook group, and he was talking out of out of his behind. Basically, he had no uh, no Is that real, a legal term. <laughs> <laughs> had no real clue. He was talking out of turn. Um, it had no real clue what was going on. They'd been separated for a decade. He was just running his mouth, and that led to a Facebook post that drew the the attention of the court, and it was part of the reason why she got called into the principal's office. It was not, if you read that, if you read fully, no, if, you, gonna say it's if you read that, read the filing from Jim and Dick, it was not why she was actually dismissed from the jury. She was dismissed from the jury because there were sworn affidavits from two people in the city of Walterboro who claimed that she was talking about the case in public. Essentially, she was the, the juror, egg lady, as they call her, juror number, if you'll give me it's one moment. A... Uh, I think it was juror 785. Yeah. Juror, seven, juror number 780. Juror number 785. I apologize. I keep putting my camera away or my microphone away from my face. But juror 785 was a landlord and essentially one of her tenants Mm-hmm. Uh, she delivered a refrigerator. Re- delivered a refrigerator to the tenant, and while they're chit-chatting, she was asked about the case, and she said something about her opinion of the verdict. And a coworker of that tenant, this was a Domino's Pizza, a worker at Domino's, essentially heard this woman who was on the jury give her opinion, and that got back to the court and sled, and that was why she was ultimately removed from the jury because she discussed the case in public and gave an opinion. This was before Murdoch had, this was before the final arguments and final closing statements and before they had even begun deliberating. That's why she was ultimately, but the whole Facebook thing is way more dramatic and salacious. And concerning. And yes, of, yeah. because Jim and Dick say that it appears based on the evidence and the, the affidavit of the juror and the juror's ex-husband it would appear that this Facebook post was invented whole cloth and that there was no ever, never any evidence that this was actually this woman's husband. It was a mistaken identity case. If it, if the post, they can't find the post, it got deleted quote unquote from this Facebook group. And they, they, they don't know if it was ever actually the person's husband, the actual husband has signed an affidavit saying it wasn't him. The juror has signed an affidavit swearing, that's not my husband. Becky had my husband's photo. She knew about my husband's relationship, knew I had a restraining order against him. And this was, this was not, not my husband. This is, it gets, it gets really, it does. I think, you know, the, so this goes back, okay, on top of that, of the Facebook post, you have allegations that Miss Hill went into these jury rooms and said things to the jurors 
don't be fooled um, by the right before the Murdoch's defense attorneys got up there. You know, we see the same language in two of the different sworn affidavits that she said that. Tell me, Charlie, can you do that as a clerk of court? That's what I that's one of my big questions. Mm -hmm. Where did, did she cross a line? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there are lots of line crossing here at Ledges, but you, you, I think you segue into really the, uh, the, the really good, the, the really tough legal question here is what's the standard? Because they've anticipated this in, in their filing, which I thought was really good uh, advocacy, because the typical, if you look this up, the typical answer is, well, it only makes a difference. You only get a new trial if the result would have been different with the improper communications. However, there's, there are a lot of case law out there that know when, when you, you, you get into the heart of our legal system, and even if the evidence is overwhelming, as they say, Judge Newman himself said, so it's going to be clear that the state could argue that the result's not going to be different, so whatever Becky Hill did makes no difference. What they focused in on, which I think is uh, correct, is, no, we want you to apply the standard that with the jury system, you cannot, even if the proof's overwhelming, you can't allow this to go on. If it's so uh, direct in terms of misconduct and so much of it, you've got to step back and give a person, because the process itself has been tainted so severely, you've got to give somebody a new, new trial in, these, in this situation. And what I thought was uh, effective with this brief was that it wasn't so much like one instance. When, they, when you start looking at all of the affidavits and the allegations that they've made with supporting affidavits, it's just so much, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's like so this much. concerted effort by the clerk to affect the jury verdict that I think that the uh, state's going to have a tough time. I, I really, I mean, I have a lot of respect well, for Alan Wilson, but he's got a tough role here at this point, doesn't well, he? Well, and he has to basically say it's okay if a clerk of court goes in there and says don't be fooled. I mean, how is he going to refute two separate sworn affidavits? And that's where I'm trying to kind of zero in, like, did she, if, if the allegations are true, mm -hmm. and she said those words, is that, and it is the body, I understand what you're saying about that, but is that wrong? Well, and, and is that wrong to yeah, I think the, uh, the challenge he's got is I'm assuming they may take the legal position that the standard ought to be doesn't make a difference in terms of the result, even if these things occur, so therefore the verdict stands. But I would think he would at the same time say, we're going to look into this and get to the bottom of it, hold whoever did this fully accountable. That may be a way to, to, to handle this. But it's a, it's a challenge from a, from a legal standpoint because let's say that the state does win. Let's say the Court of Appeals says, no, no new trial. You've got these affidavits. Everything's fine. I just would think they would just leave such a sour taste in everyone's mouth for the rest of really our lives that, wait, wait a minute, did he get a fair trial? Was the result fair here? You know what I'm trying to say? It's, it, it seems like it does reach to a certain level where this needs to be looked at very carefully. Well, that, that go ahead. Would you like to? Well, my, my next thing was going to be to tail off of what you just pointed out, Ann. It becomes a question, I think, Charlie, of is does is it context or semantics mm -hmm. when we get into the actual accusations so and i'll read from one rerun from one of the affidavits here this is from juror number 630 she says that becky hill told the jury quote not to be fooled by evidence from murdoch's attorneys and that juror juror number 630 says she interpreted that to mean that murdoch would lie this juror went on to say that becky hill told the jury to quote watch him closely look at his actions, and look at his movements before the testimony. And the juror 
swears that she interpreted that from Becky to mean that Murdoch was guilty. Now, further down, this same juror mm-hmm. also says that she was ultimately, pr- this is another thing that we're going to foreshadow and get into, this juror says that she was ultimately pressured by other jurors to make a decision to come to a guilty verdict. She doesn't say it was ultimately Becky's influence that, that caused her. Mm-hmm. We're getting into jury jury interference. Yeah, that's what they're supposed to do, actually. I mean, they're, they're supposed to have exchange of ideas and try and convince each other. There's really nothing... Um, Illegal, improper. It's done every day in jury work. I mean, that's what happens. In, in, but it's in the anyone who's seen the in the deliberation. Yeah, in the deliberating not, room. Not during like the. Yeah, not trial. for the clerk to not, exactly not for the clerk to pressure or pre-deliberations, but in the deliberative process, that is what goes on. Everyone's seen that great movie, right? The uh, what was the name of it? The the twelfth man, the jury. Yeah, and so uh, that's what, you know. But the. Um, the clerk of court, like what, what Dick and Jim are trying to say, the defense attorneys, they're trying to say that her job is to get food, make sure everybody's oh, so comfortable. Yeah, no, th- I think, um, exactly. You know, go yeah. get them to and from the room safely and right. make sure that they're comfortable. Did, did, are there, is there any point where a clerk of court can talk no, about no. what's about to happen in the trial? No, not, 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 not as they have alleged. But I, one thing that really occurs to me as, as we speak it would seem that it would be in everyone's interest to have an evidentiary hearing because we're speculating on what this means or that means. Mm-hmm. There seems to be enough here where I would think the Court of Appeals would allow the circuit judge, the trial judge, whoever the trial judge may be, because Judge Newman may be a witness, to have a hearing on all this to see what actually occurred so we have a, a full rendition of, of the facts here because we are speculating a bit, aren't we? Well, yeah, and... and well, I mean, what you just said about Judge Newman being a witness, I can't let that go. Like, really? That, 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 did you ever no, think no, we would be no. talking about Judge Clifton Newman, who was remarkable mm-hmm. by all standards, mm-hmm. would have to come in as a witness on his own? I know. It's uh, unbelievable, isn't it? But it, they, they, Why they, does they, that they've got him with the. Uh, the the trans the in camera I remember that in camera hearing by the way yeah. I tried to figure out what went on they were pretty tight lipped about it yeah so so what we're referencing if if you're not totally familiar there is a transcript excerpt in the filing from mm-hmm. Jim and Dick uh, yesterday that essentially it points to it. it points back to that mm-hmm. Facebook post situation uh, and it, it's alleging that. Becky Hill essentially tried to handle the situation and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. handle it herself with, before bringing it mm-hmm. to Judge Newman. And go. Judge Newman said on the record that that was concerning to him. Yeah, he said um, they were looking for these two, when you were talking about her being a landlord and she was, you know, talking out of mm-hmm. turn about, you know, that sort of thing, that that's what was being alleged. The court, the court being Judge Newman. Right. Um, in this in-camera... Yeah, no, we should explain that. That means yeah. they all, just to put it in context, we're all sitting there, and then all rushed back into the judge's chambers, mm-hmm. and the court reporter went back there, and we weren't privy to what went on. It was done uh, privately, as is, can often happen because of the sensitive nature of this of this issue. So this is the first time we've heard this as well, mm-hmm. because they got a, a roughed draft of mm-hmm. the transcript, because the actual transcripts of the six-week trial have not been completed mm-hmm. yet but we got this and it says the court or judge newman says a name clifford dandridge b street oh boy he goes oh boy <laughs> i'm not too pleased about the clerk interrogating a juror as opposed to coming to me and bringing it to me right and mr jim griffin defense attorney for alec murdoch says i was surprised to hear that yes yeah, so that 
could make him possibly a witness in a, in a full-blown evidentiary hearing. Right. And when do we get this evidentiary hearing? Well, the steps are, that's an interesting legal question because I had to look this up. It, it, under, under a criminal rule, since it's on appeal, you have to get the permission of the Court of Appeals to have an, a, 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 the motion filed in circuit court. And then if the motion's filed, then it's up to that judge who, who would get that. We don't know who that judge will be. Presumably another judge Supreme to decide. Court. No, trial judge, another circuit judge. Okay. Boy, they talk about, I guess Justice Beatty will be you know, looking through his Rolodex as to who the next best Clifton Newman would be. Who would it be? Well, you uh, can't see it. I will. Yeah, 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 yeah there are lots of good choices out there. <laughs> yeah. So that person would then say, okay, uh, we've got this motion. Do I want to allow further evidence or we just decide this upon affidavits? I would think they would. The trouble with allowing evidence here, of course, you've got to limit this, because this could go on for like six weeks as well, right? Mm -hmm. All the allegations here. But I do think there's some credibility issues. I've got to think the clerk of court's not going to agree to everything that's being alleged against her. But she may have a, you know, put my hat on representing Becky. You know, you've got some Fifth Amendment concerns that she may want to exercise. She may not want to be speaking either. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Do, do you want to roll the clip um, of what Jim and Grove... So the way we found out about this, I'm sure everybody's aware at this point, was that... Uh, Dick Harpootlian and um, Jim Griffin got up, did a press conference in front of the South Carolina Court of Appeals um, yesterday. And I just want to play a little clip of what, it was what um, Jim said about the new trial. It was that one. Uh, the Cork of Court went in, the, for instance, went into the, the, uh, the jury room prior to uh, us presenting our case saying, don't be confused, don't be persuaded. When Alec Murdoch was testifying, don't believe him. Um, and that, I mean, under, under just every case you can read is enough to give us a new trial. You don't even have to show they listened to it or that it made any difference. That kind of intrusion into the sanctity of the jury room is an automatic new trial. The jury heard two and a half weeks of the financial fraud before we ever got to the murder trial. And I think it's important to understand that if you look at the forensics, if you look at the, the, the government's case, um, there's no way forensically he could have committed these murders. But George so that was kind of, we kind of buttoned two together there. But the, if you just look at the first part of, of that clip, um, if we talk about uh, what they said, they're saying just based on what you heard, whether or not they listened to him or not, is the, are they right? Well, as I talked about earlier, there is some case law that the state may well argue that only if it affects the outcome, evidence being so overwhelming. There are some good cases on their side that they do say that once you get into this level of misconduct with the jurors and this sort of intrusion into their sanctity, so to speak, that that's enough for a new trial. And so I would be curious as to what the state takes the position on relative to the standard and whatever their position is, then what the, uh, what the, the Court of Appeals doesn't have a rule on this. They can just send it back for an evidentiary hearing, but then see what the standard would be at the trial court level. We've got some, I did read briefly those, the cases in South Carolina. It doesn't seem to be really clear cut to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's some openings there that could be exploited by either side. But stepping back from this whole thing, given the, the tremendous, if this stands, just given the tremendous amount of, uh, of really improper conduct, 
I would think that the case for a new trial is, 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 is pretty strong. Uh, well, I, and I wanted to just clarify that clip came from Good Morning America because uh, Dick Harputlin and Jim Griffin came on. So we had, we had listened to a press conference earlier, but that came from an interview uh, George Stephanopoulos was doing with, mm -hmm. um, with Dick and Jim this morning. And to, to that point, um, media has played a huge role in not only... Boy, nice. um, where we get our information on all of this, the the way this is rolled out with this book, I mean, it, you can argue that if Becky, Miss Becky, had not uh, published the book, that's true. We wouldn't have known about this. We would have. Wouldn't yeah. We have known yeah. about this? Well, I've got you know stepping back to. I've got to think though, just having been around her, that there's got to be another side of the story, right? Wouldn't you think? There's got to be some explanations. This happened, but they misunderstood. It's not as bad as it looks. I just have to think that, particularly in the Facebook business, because that is an allegation of very affirmative, really um, nefarious conduct. Well, absolutely. And and considering how maybe sometimes our generation like deals with Facebook posts of the first right. Yeah, like, why not to be I aware? I really want to like, yeah. you know, yeah. if somebody told me right. something about how it was deleted or not yeah, yeah, deleted yeah, 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 and yeah. all that, I mean, I could see that getting a little squirrely. Yeah, and also right? I'm just trying to put myself in her shoes. You know, there's a lot, six weeks, right? And you have lots of contact with the jurors uh, properly. And so maybe she made some offhanded comment that she regrets at this point, and it was just, you know, just highlighted inappropriately out of context here. So that may well, so we should wait to see. To, to, to the point of this trial, we should not rush to judgment with Becky. I mean, she's well, entitled to deference here. It was stirring the pot. I mean, that's what happened is when she wrote the book, it's stirring the pot yeah. and upset these jurors based on what you were reading mm -hmm. through, right? Right. And I'll give the, I want to do, I want to give the full context here. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about playing, giving Becky mm -hmm. a fair, fair side in this, mm -hmm. what her book says uh, now we've already gone over what the allegation is from what the allegation is from Murdoch's side, from the attorneys, from from the affidavit of the juror herself, the the quote egg lady. Um, they're they're alleging that this was this whole Facebook post by her ex husband was again pulled out of thin air and mm -hmm. something sort of foistered. Uh, by mm -hmm. Becky and driven by Becky. Mm -hmm. Now, what Becky actually says in her book is a little different. That the everyone pretty much involved with the court, everyone in the trial. So what Becky was saying is that everyone in the trial was sort of aware of this Facebook post on a Friday afternoon mm -hmm. when the court broke on Friday afternoon, mm -hmm. late February. Uh, that's when the word started going around the courthouse. From Murdoch's filing, it was almost painted as, no, Becky forced the issue. Becky brought this up. Becky brought this to everyone's attention. Mm -hmm. Her, what she says in her book is that's not the case. Everyone, it was the rumors were started go, going mm -hmm. around about it by Friday when court broke. And then she didn't pay much more attention to it and then got asked about it the following Monday morning by mm -hmm. Judge Newman. And then that's when they started going into their, she says, oh yeah, I remember seeing, I remember hearing about it. And then I looked on Facebook on Friday or Saturday night and I saw it and I figured, oh, that must be what they were talking about. And I didn't think any more of it. And until Judge Newman brought it up on, on that Monday morning. So that's the kind of the mm -hmm. balance to what, what we're going on here. But as Harpootlean and Griffin pointed out, 
the timeline doesn't exactly jibe there because what they're saying is this post right. was deleted well before Becky claimed she actually saw it. Um, and that, mm -hmm. that, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, if it's it, true, I mean, we have true. to see, I, as I said, we got, I think we need to wait, you know, totally on this for, for, for the, for the, for the response of the state. But having said that, we do have affidavits, right? Yes. Sworn statements um, from jurors. And I, I will, I'm going to selfishly do a little tease here about something else that I'm working on. Um, Ooh, this ought to be good. Yeah. Affidavits aren't infallible. Correct. And these affidavits, some of them we know, were given. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> they, they aren't infallible. And uh -huh. sometimes affidavits get ruled inadmissible. Mm -hmm. Yes. As they you're do. finding out. As, as, as they do. Uh, look for more on that coming very soon. Yes. God, <laughs> I'm, to a, I want to listen to this. Um, to a, yeah, absolutely. But uh, going back to what what. I think an inescapable issue with this, we've talked about what the law says and mm -hmm. from the angle that, that Murdoch's attorneys are pursuing here, even if it doesn't rise to that level, what you mentioned early on about misconduct in office. And just, I want to point out some notes that I, that I put on this. Um, going back to what the, these juror affidavits said that about the instructions that Becky gave them in, in the jury room. And what I wrote is this relies on the juror's individual interpretations of what she was saying, but does that even matter? Does the context even matter? Um, because as we've said, is jury instruction of jury coaching of any sort, is that under the clerk of court's purview? Like giving them, preparing them for what they're about to experience, like telling them, okay, be careful, watch them closely, even if it was done altruistically. Is it even under her? Or even like saying, oh, those autopsy pictures could be pretty bad. Yeah, you know, you're getting, you know, this is a national trial, right? International trial. I just, I just would like to think that Becky would have known better than to make any sort of comments like that. So there's got to be another side of this. Again, long trial. Maybe there were some things that were said that, uh, that don't rise to improper, but just bad judgment and no criminal intent. And uh, let's hear, wait to hear her side of the story. But having said that, you know, the, um, the affidavits, if they turn out to be correct uh, information, uh, I would say at the very least, it would be a learning experience for her, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, did she get in trouble as an elected official? Uh, well, that's another interesting question because, uh, uh, of course, voters decide who gets to be the clerk of court, and the only way that she could be removed from office would be relative to an actual indictment. Uh, and so I, we're way away from all that. I don't want to hate to even mention that. I noticed the defense attorney right. stayed away from that, which they I think is entirely appropriate because. Uh, we're talking about any criminal, yeah, criminal charges. Yeah, that would because it's, it's from way this early either. on all that. Yeah, way early on this. Sure. And uh, she's entitled, I, as again, I do she want to give her. We haven't even heard from her yet. Uh, exactly. And she. She's not charged with any crime. There's some allegations here of, of improper contact with the jury, and they're asking, and you've got to put, you know, look at their motivation, right? I mean, they've lost a trial big time, mm -hmm. the defense attorneys, in record time, 
And I heard that little clip there that the forensic evidence doesn't support the verdict. I respectfully disagree. I sat there. It fully supports it, my humble opinion. Uh, and there's overwhelming evidence of guilt. And, and, uh, and so I think actually if there's a new trial, I think the result could very well be the same, although I do think the defense would take different tactics. And typically it benefits the state for a retrial. In this case, it may actually benefit the defense because I think certain things they did just wasn't, they weren't effective. But having said all that, you know, as a step back from this, maybe take a deep breath and sort of let the, the process, uh, it's, we're engaged. One thing I will say is, is that at least there's a process in place here for these allegations. And so the whisper campaign is over with. We have very loud voices screaming out there and let's let the voices be heard. Well, the, um, the idea of getting a fair new trial, I know that the, we talked about this before because everybody, I felt like mm -hmm. everybody was talking about Murdoch mm -hmm. before he went to trial. Right. And we talked about the fact that they just need to find a, a jury that's willing to listen to the evidence and, you know, make a, a, a balanced, fair decision. But now they've heard the evidence. There is no one in South Carolina. I would, I mean, maybe there are some people, but not a lot True. that haven't heard about Murdoch and haven't heard about the kennel video and the, maybe I'm living in a, in my own bubble, but, but I do believe that the majority of South Carolinians. Well, would you say under oath that you could decide it based upon the evidence in the courtroom? That I'd already heard the evidence? Mm -hmm. Like, no, that I could you, listen you could to disabuse your again? mind of that and listen to the evidence. That's the standard. I guess so. I, I mean, think they'll get people that can do that. Probably maybe you half, that? you know, half the people. I couldn't. Okay. Uh, you know, I, 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 You're being more honest. But I think there are some time. people that maybe didn't follow it as closely, didn't sit there for six weeks. And so they did stand up and would uh, honestly say that I could decide it based upon the evidence I'm now hearing for the next, in the next few days or next few weeks. But it couldn't be in Walterboro. I think it could. Really? And I think the defense will want it there. Uh, okay. if I, I don't know. It's up to them. But um, I didn't know that. I thought they would be like Greenville. Well, I would, I would assume, well, you know, just <laughs> us talking, right? I know South Carolina a little bit. And, you know, the, the redder the clay, I think the less uh, forgiving perhaps jurors could be. No offense to anyone here locally because I love, South Car love lower South Carolina. But I think that area uh, is, is where they are is a pretty good little mix of folks for, for defendant Murdoch. Uh, and so I think that's why they wanted it there. So I mean, they're the ones that chose it, right? Mm -hmm. And they and remember the pool? There were lots of people that had uh, good contact with the Murdoch family and the law firm and, and, and liked them. So I, I feel like uh, it, it could be headed back there. It, probably a whole different set of court officials, right, uh, uh, that could be involved given the allegations here. But we'll see if it gets that far. We're probably six months to a year away from that. I did get a chance to get on the phone with Alec Murdoch's brother and uh, John, Mar John Marvin Murdoch, who um, sat through, I mean, I would say almost the entire trial, if mm -hmm. not the entire trial. He was sitting straight across from the journalists mm -hmm. and the media, and um, he obviously had the same interactions we all did with Miss mm -hmm. Becky and everything. So I did talk to him today about this, uh, and I want to just read to you what he said to me. Um, he said he was shocked. He was mm -hmm. shocked. Uh, you know, we all were. It was a bombshell, jaws on the floor when we got this. Um, but he said, I don't know if this is true or not, but if it is, it is absolutely terrible for anybody to have their rights violated in a fair or for a fair trial. And, you know, that that's really the crux of it is that he was saying whether or not it's my brother, Alec Murdoch, 
it is still a terrible thing to think if it's true that anyone would try and sway a decision on any level. I don't think anyone could disagree with that. It sounds like yeah. a very statesmanlike statement. One thing I want to go back to, just because I know we're going to get eaten alive by our followers on social media uh, <laughs> if we don't address it, but some of the discrepancies uh, with, with the affidavit and the testimony of juror 785. Yeah, by the way, was she, exactly. under, was she under oath when she spoke to the judge? I'm unsure. I think she was. I think it was just a don't they all question. Take an oath? Don't they all take an oath when they're sworn as jurors? Uh, does that extend to the, the questioning? Um, I, That'd be an interesting legal question. But anyhow, you're right. There's a conflict there, though. Yes. So it gets into what she says in her sworn affidavit. Mm -hmm. She, like the other two jurors, mentions several instances of Becky Hill essentially Talking to the talking to the jury mm -hmm. and giving them instructions, mm -hmm. coaching them as it mm -hmm. appears on what evidence to believe and mm -hmm. what not to believe and how to how to mm -hmm. interpret what they're seeing. And she says she like the other jurors mentions other instances throughout trial when it happened. Um, the, there's even a reference to when they all went out to visit Moselle. Mm -hmm. No, I. I may be mm -hmm. wrong on that. I may be wrong on that from this particular juror. I, I don't want to, um, yeah, I don't want to, um, I'm confusing that with the other juror affidavits. I don't think she specifically mentioned the visit to my, yes, yes, she did. Okay, I'm right. She, she, <laughs> says, uh, she says when she went, when they all went to Moselle, she saw Becky walking with the foreperson of the jury. And that, that's a theme in, throughout all of this, that the three juror affidavits they have, they describe private conversations between the foreperson of the jury and Becky. Uh, and none of the, the contents of those conversations, none of them were made privy to. And when asked about them, we're told that they couldn't be, it couldn't be discussed with them. That's just more, more depth into what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. But essentially, it, it goes to this. When the juror 785 was called before Judge Newman to discuss the incident with the Domino's employee and whether she was discussing the case outside of outside the court like she shouldn't have been, um, which she denies in these the new sworn affidavits. She denies that she ever said anything about the case or discussed the case outside of the court, outside of the jury. Um, but when she was called in front of Judge Newman, the official transcript specifically mentions Judge Newman asking juror 785, egg lady, if Becky Hill had ever discussed the case with any of the jurors. And in front of Judge Newman during the trial, juror 785 said no, that never happened. Yet mm -hmm. here in this sworn affidavit, she says it happened on multiple occasions. So we already have a discrepancy. Um, again, and I pointed, uh, there appears to be somewhat of a discrepancy on the timeline of the Facebook post. So uh, go back to the little tease I gave earlier, uh, these affidavits aren't infallible. There might not, I don't mean to suggest net nefarious intent. Maybe there's, maybe she remembered better. Maybe she misremembered. Who knows? We're going to get to the bottom of that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, but the affidavits aren't infallible and the jurors' memories aren't infallible. And it does somewhat seem convenient now after the attorneys spent all summer chasing this that it, they finally got what they were after. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, uh, Kind of something we, that's a great about. point a valid yeah. point too um, something point. to think about it is and you know we're gonna we're gonna be absolutely um 
there's no way we're not going to hear a lot more about this because we've got 10 days before the AG's got to come back mm -hmm. and answer this, right? Yeah. We haven't heard from Becky Hill yet. Uh, we certainly want to. Um, we want to hear from, from the jurors as well. We're hoping that, you know, one thing that we did hear was that if this goes to an evidentiary hearing, there's a very good chance that these jurors are going to have to. Wow, you imagine being one of the jurors right yeah, now. Yeah, they're going to have to go up and have their making own through, sworn yeah, affidavits. And they're going to have to do their own sworn testimony for this hearing. Possibly, yes. After, I think Harpo, I guess they, can they, can they even say the fifth at this point? Can they, can they do well, that? Well, I don't think they would have a, I mean, I, I don't think they would be involved with anything that should allow would 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 make them think they would want to take the fifth. I think the more yeah. I think the more um, important question or possible question would be the trial judge hearing this. How far does he want to let this go with complete jury interrogation? Do you want to limit it to certain things? Or I've heard enough where I will do. I don't know. That's a just thinking through this. You could actually have like a month long trial on this stuff, couldn't you? Yeah. And I don't know if a judge would want to necessarily sign up for something like that he probably want to limit it somehow yeah. and also you he's know, already got a extremely busy general sessions calendar that he's yeah and so uh so the ag is going to play a critical role on how this gets resolved i believe his one, position sorry charlie one more thing that i mm. wanted to address with that which kind of dovetails with mm. what you were just mentioning what if anything comes of the accusations that the jury was ignoring judge newman's specific orders not to discuss the case with each other or with anyone else because what's another th common thread in these affidavits uh is that there was discussion of the case among the jurors going mm -hmm. on when uh, you you all saw this for yourselves do not discuss the case do not discuss the case you may bring the jury uh, how many times did we hear those those <laughs> refrains from judge yeah. do not discuss the case yeah. and they're saying it happened yeah often yeah well, let me make sort of a general, not about this trial, right? Just sort of in general, but just among people who do a lot of trial work, the idea that human beings, jurors, don't go home and have any discussion whatsoever about the case. I think most people accept that being, we're all fallible human beings, that it's really just, when you say near impossible, <laughs> not to have at least a little, sorry, honey, I can't talk about this, but, Kind of thing, and so I think the the um, the standard here <laughs> would yeah, right. You'd have to decompress from seeing those pictures, for example. Right, right. Of course. Uh, uh, I do think, though, that the uh, if there's 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 added to the fuel here, so to speak, if you can prove that there's lots of discussion pre-verdict, mm -hmm. and there's remember this business about Becky going into allegation to a private room with the mm -hmm. jury foreperson, and by the way. Correct my memory, but as I recall, the jury elected a different person, mm -hmm. and we ended up with another person. There's, I guess there's a yeah, story there to a, that. There was a gentleman that was supposed to be the He was elected person. by the jurors, and they asked and why wasn't he the four-person. The judge says, I'm picking this person. So I don't know whether that person was recommended by somebody to right. the trial judge to be. Yeah, I'm, here, I'm, I'm just asking. All of that's going to be questioned. Yeah, and All so there's just a lot, lot, lot to unpack here, isn't there? I believe I read it was think, recommended by the court, but does that mean recommended by Judge Newman or does that rec mean recommended by Becky? Because the, the context good. of that phrasing was, there was in one of the affidavits, it said it made a point of, it mm -hmm. made a note of that, that, oh, by the way, this, this four person that was constantly uh, allegedly mm -hmm. talking to Becky uh, privately and then not sharing the mm -hmm. with the rest of the jury. That was the not the four person that the jury had chosen for itself. 
and then, but it phrased it as, and I think this was Jim and Dick's filing phrased it this way, that that four person was chosen by the court. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, is that illegal to like go and talk privately with the four person for the That would not be proper. Oh. Yeah, these are private conversations. Uh, you know, it'd be one thing if you're talking about, hey, what's for lunch type thing. But I, I you know, the, the affidavit clearly paints the picture that she's friendly, right, with the yeah. four person and they had a, like a plan. And then what was what what purpose did the bailiff serve? If that was if that was going on, that's what the bailiff's role is. Uh, he's relaying messages to the clerk. So the yeah, judge. there's just a lot of things here to kind of go through here. Well, we're going to keep on working on it. We're not going to. Uh, we're going to be hearing the answers in the next ten days. We also have more podcasts coming up for you. Um, on we have a, a whole roster of other trials. Unlimited and, with the Murdoch case, and, right? And <laughs> Instead of like pleadings going on and sentencings and status conferences. Yeah. You've seen us on the air. We're gonna keep you in in touch with what's happening. And Charlie, thank you so much for coming. My today. pleasure. Good to be with y'all. Um, the reunion Drew, here. Fantastic to hear all of all of the insight that you're bringing into our story. Uh, just. You know, this is a great opportunity to go back and listen to some of those uh, podcasts that we had. I, I did notice that that was actually what they ended up using for the filing was the ABC News 4 YouTube. <laughs> we obviously had the best coverage, so yeah. you, know where, um, you know where I'm going with this. But uh, go back, Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch's uh, Murders, Money, and Mystery. Uh, it's a great opportunity to kind of get back up to speed because you never know if there's another new trial around the corner. Yeah. One thing I wanted wanted to say, and I, I mentioned this on my personal social media, is for full disclosure, for transparency, uh, you know, we touched on it at the beginning, but we are all friendly with Becky Hill. We had spent a lot of time with her. I've known my working relationship predates the Murdoch trial, uh, other trials in Colleton County. I like Becky. It's been a, a very friendly and cordial and good working relationship, and we have thanked them and praised them on this on our podcast before the people of Walterboro, the the clerk the clerk's office the court but when you have serious allegations that's the that's the double-edged sword of what we do mm -hmm. we're there for the bad we're there for the good and these allegations are bad and we're going to treat them fairly and respectfully and pursue them the end and see yeah that's see a good that's, that's a good point because you know here we have defendant murdoch who was presumed innocent right under the law for these heinous crimes right. well at the very least we have to give deference to becky that she is presumed not to have done any of this because these are mere allegations but you do point out they're serious and they're under oath yes yeah so we're going to treat them seriously so stay tuned we'll try and get to the bottom of it